0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. This morning, uh, I'm excited because we are in a new series. When When I last left, you guys, when I was here last, we were still in Galatians. Now we've transition to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And here's some of the reasons why I'm excited about it. One is uh, Matthew is structured in a way where it's going to be kind of challenging to study because uh, yes, it is a narrative. It is a story. But in this story, he, Matthew kind of chops it up in, in sections where there's, yes, a story. He, he gives some uh, account of events that took place, but then he gets into the, um, dialogue, and a lot of dialogue. Mainly, it's Jesus giving his teaching, and so the first dialogue that we're going to run to, the, the large section, is going to be the Sermon on the Mount, and then uh, there's going to be more events that take place. And then it's going to be Jesus giving parables and, and various teachings. And so it's, we're going to be going back and forth from narrative to dialogue. Narrative and dialogue. Which causes a challenge or makes a cha- gives us a challenge of what in the world is Matthew doing? What is he trying to communicate? Because here's the thing. The, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they aren't just historical narratives in the sense of, you know, like at school, you open up a, um, a history textbook and it just gives you all the information and all the dates and it goes through chronological order. That's not how the gospels are written. The, the authors, are, they have intentions. They, there's something behind it that they're trying to communicate. And a lot of times it's some deep theological truth or some type of call, or they're trying to persuade the audience in some way. So the question for, that I want to ask this morning, and hopefully you heard it last week as well, but what is Matthew trying to communicate? What is he arguing for? What is he trying to convince his readers of? And so I think this is the answer. And this is something that uh, the, the, the pastors, we, we've gotten together and, and done our own studies and, and talked through this before we even started this series. This is on the posters as well. So you, I think you probably already know this. But here's what we think is the main idea of Matthew's gospel, what he's trying to get at. And that is to follow the promised king into his kingdom. That's what Matthew's trying to say. That's what he's trying to show. One, he's going to show who the king is what this king is all about, and then the call to follow this king into his kingdom. That is the call. That is the direction we will see Matthew take as we work through his gospel. Now, last week, Pastor Rob took us through a genealogy. How would you like, <laughs> I think this is kind of started uh, funny too, to start your narrative, or to start a movie with a listing of names, Kind of like, you know, the, um, in, in a movie, you kind of fast-forward through the intro where it's giving all the actors' names and the actresses' names and, and who made it and stuff like that. It's like, that's the boring part. You fast-forward through the good stuff. It's like, Matthew, why are you starting with this genealogy? Well, there's various reasons why, but the one thing that I do want to emphasize that I think uh, Pastor Rob did uh, in, a, in a wonderful way last week is that Matthew, in his genealogy, is highlighting a covenant promise that was given. He's highlighting a covenant promise that unfolds throughout history through these people, through these characters. Remember that God revealed himself to Abraham, right? He revealed himself to Abraham, and he made a covenant promise to him, saying that he will be, um, that it will be through his descendants that all nations will be blessed. So he calls out Abraham. He gives him this promise. All nations will be blessed through your descendants. Well, how does this play out? Well, we read through the Old Testament. And, And through that, we read through the genealogy, don't we? Which come to kings. And who is the king that's mentioned, that's emphasized in this genealogy? It's David. So we go to David in the account of David and God reveals himself to David and makes a promise to him as well. This comes from 2nd Samuel chapter 7, 11 through 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is God telling this to David. It says, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. What? Is that a movie somewhere, the quote, where he's like, forever. Is that Sandlot? Yeah. Forever. forever. Why does he keep repeating that? Because I think he's trying to get it into our heads, right? Trying to get it into David's head, try to get it into the audience's head at that time and trying to get it into our heads. God has made this promise to David that he will establish his kingdom forever. This is, this is big. And I think this is what Matthew is trying to communicate. So the question is, how does he do this? How in the world is he going to fulfill this promise? Matthew is making the argument that the Davidic throne is established forever through Jesus. This child that's going to be born, his name's going to be Jesus. It's going to be through him. And we're going to see throughout the book of Matthew the message that Jesus proclaims and how it ties in with God's covenant promise. So what's the message that Jesus gives throughout Matthew? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is, it is approaching. It is now, and this is what it's like, and this is what the king is like. That's what we're going to see throughout the book of Matthew. Now, this morning, we're we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, where he describes how the birth of Jesus comes about. The main point that Matthew is trying to communicate in this short narrative, so it's pretty short, we're only going through seven verses, is that the birth of Jesus is unlike any other birth known to man. It's unlike any other birth throughout the history of men. It's a unique birth that that, uh, points to two important theological truths. Here are the two. One, that Jesus is the one promised long ago, who is to save his people from their sins. Okay, that's what we're going to see. Number two, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. So... uh, I, I love how Paul describes this in this um, letter to Timothy. He says, it is God, God was manifested in the flesh, is how Paul describes it. And so with that, let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 together. Um, and actually, can we do this? Would you stand with me as, um, as I read this out loud? Hey, Aiden. By the way, I left my my uh, text back in the um, the other room, so I'm going off of the prompter. So you need to be on. All right. My eyes are on you, son. Okay. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, would this text speak? Would the spirit reach our hearts and challenge us and convict us and, and enlighten us to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we go through this text. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So this is a narrative. This is a short story that that, uh, Matthew is giving about the birth of Jesus. So uh, in this, I've broken it up into scenes. So there are four scenes, and I'm going to just run through these really quick. Scene number one, there's a messy situation. Okay. Number two, Joseph's solution to this situation. Number three, God's solution to this situation. And number four, Joseph obeys. So that's kind of where the narrative is going. And so let's look at scene number one, a messy situation. This is in verse 18. It says that now, now the birth of Jesus... Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a little bit of background in this situation, because how we do marriage today is a little bit different than how they did it back then. And so back then there was this betrothal period, this intermediate period, where it was decided that this man was going to marry this woman, and in that time, they were legally considered husband and wife. It was declared that they were husband and wife. They would call themselves husband and wife. That is my wife. That is my husband. Although they did not act like husband and wife yet. Okay, So they were, they were separated. They were um, in this intermediate stage where they were declared husband and wife, but not actually practicing what it means to be husband and wife. Okay? So that was what was taking place back then. They were legally married. And so here comes Joseph's dilemma. When Mary is found to be with child. What? What? So we have to understand this in, in the text, we know as the reader that she was found to be with child from the Holy spirit. We're like, oh, okay. But you see that's Matthew giving us commentary. He's giving us insight that Joseph didn't know that Joseph didn't have. So when he finds out and we don't know how he necessarily find out, found out, but it could have been through a word or just seeing that she's with child, right? Mary, are you putting on weight? don't want to say anything and okay but sooner or later Joseph finds out she's with child this is a big problem why because even though they were legally declared husband and wife they were not lawfully husband and wife in the sense of practicing right sexual relationships here's the problem This is troubling. Imagine being in Joseph's shoes and finding out that your wife-to-be, or that is declared legally your wife right now, who you're going to marry, who uh, by that way, that intermediate period, that betrothal period was about a year, and that was the time that Joseph would be preparing a home for his future family. He's putting blood, sweat, and tears into this, preparing for this wedding, for this woman, and find out She's been unfaithful. I mean, this is a gut punch. What is Joseph going to do? I think this is very interesting. Here's the dilemma. You know, our text says, Matthew 19, that Joseph is a just man. He knew what was right and what was wrong, and he wanted to follow what was right. Also, it seems like he loved Mary. He cared for her. And so in verse 19, which we'll actually get to more here, but in verse 19, it says that he was unwilling to put her to shame. And so here's the problem. Um, she's in trouble because she did something that was against the Mosaic law. And remember back then, um, these religious, you know, we we kind of have moral laws, and then we have government laws, and they can be different. They can be similar, but they can also be different. Back then, that wasn't the case, right? It, it was all one thing. And so and so uh, breaking the law of Moses in the Mosaic law, it's like this was a social thing that took place. It was a government thing that took place where there were ramifications. And so for Mary, she's in a bit of trouble. Now, the Mosaic law says that those who have committed adultery shall be stoned, shall be put to death. It's pretty serious. Now, in the first century, during the time of Jesus, that wasn't practiced as much as it was back in the Mosaic time and during the Moses time. But there was still this shunning and the shame that took place when someone, when a woman conceived out of wedlock. And so this would affect her life for the rest of her life of how she is seen within the community, how she was treated within the community. It would also affect the child and how he was seen within the community and how he was treated in the community. And so there's a lot of trouble, you know, and a lot of issues taking place. So Joseph has some issues here. There is a dilemma and he's, and, and here it is. If he's a just man, he wants to do what's right, which is, hey, this is wrong. What she did was wrong. And since he's a just man, I wash my hands of it. Or in the sense of, I am innocent of this, right? I am innocent of this. this he's a just man. He wants everyone to know that he did nothing wrong. He was the, right? So here's the dilemma though, because he also cares for Mary and he doesn't want to put her in that situation. So what is he going to do? How is he going to solve this problem? And here's, here's the interesting thing when it comes to the messy situations, we find ourselves in messy situations. Maybe it's situations that we didn't cause, but when, when we start to deal with them, here's the scary thing. And here's the trouble thing no matter what we do, it's going to get messy, right? And, and perhaps we'll get a little messy as well. You see, that's the problem of sin. When we're trying to handle sin, where there is sin, there's a mess. And when we, no, no matter what decision that we make, you know, when we try to work through sin, even if it wasn't us who sinned, but we're trying to help others through it, It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be clean. It's going to leave a trail of mess behind. Here's the wonderful thing about this situation, at least, right? This is just an appearance of sin. And so Joseph is trying to do the best that he can with what he's got and what he knows. He says, here's the best thing. So this is Joseph's solution. This is scene number two. So the dilemma or the problem, Mary is pregnant during the time when she's not supposed to be right? That's the trouble. That's the dilemma. Here's Joseph's solution, verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Hey, let's not make a public declaration. Let's not make this public, but let's just quietly separate. And um, and uh, through that, he will be seen as innocent, hopefully, and the, the shame, the public shame, hopefully will be diminished when it came to Mary. Soften the blow in some way. So in the, man, uh, in the eyes of men, this sounds like the best solution for him. It's the best solution to minimize the damage for both him and Mary. Joseph will walk away from this mess practically unscathed, um, maybe with some sympathy Mary will still experience some trouble, but at least it will be minimized as much as possible. Sounds like the wisest decision for Joseph. It's Joseph's solution. However, this brings us to scene three, God's solution. You see, this is a little bit different. There is a difference oftentimes with our solutions, and God's solutions. In this scene, there are three surprises that we're going to look at. three surprises in this revelation that God gives, when it comes to His solution. So the first one is in Matthew chapter one verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So surprise number one is in this verse, verse 20, that the conceived child is from the Holy Spirit. Wait, what? What? Could you imagine being Joseph and hearing this? Wait, what? Um, Angel. Angel of the Lord. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Here's the interesting thing. The angel doesn't like get into how this actually works, right? So we don't know how this actually works out. What we do know is that this is a miraculous conception, Mary, who knew no man sexually, has conceived a child, and we know this came about through the Holy Spirit. Right off the bat, this tells us that there is something very different about this child. He is human, but he is unlike any other human that has ever existed. And we're actually going to see this we're going to see the distinction or the difference of Jesus from every other human being as we read through the book of Matthew. But we also see it when we read through the book of Mark and Luke and John. I know you've experienced when you've read the gospels as well. I've experienced it when I've read the story of Jesus as well and who he is and what he does and what he says. You know, and so there's something very practical in this, that Jesus isn't like any other human being. And so um, throughout my life as a Christian, having conversations with people, whether, whether it's people who have doubts about God and about their faith, people who actually just reject God offhand or have walked away from the faith, or people that have issues with the church, the church has hurt them in some way, and they kind of walk away from the church. Now, I've I've had conversations with all types of people like that, and when they're when there's questions and and uh, I've I've uh, been able to give answers, and I I think they're good answers. But there's there's one question though that I hopefully get to every single time I have these conversations that I think is a very important question. So this is, when we have these conversations with people, I think, I think here's probably the most important question to ask them. And it is this, if I can find it in my notes. <laughs> it's this question, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus with all these doubts or this rejection of God in general or these issues that you might have within the church and people that, are, that, that say they're Christians but may not act like Christians? Okay, but what do you think about Jesus? And the reason why I ask that question is because if people have uh, read the Gospels or have heard teaching about Jesus or or heard some of his words, or what Jesus is like, there is this instinct, or this understanding, underlying understanding, that he is very different than any other human being. The way that he acts, the way that he speaks, the way that he teaches, when you read those things, you're like, this is different. Who in the world is this man? So there's been oftentimes, when I've Interacted with people where we get to that question, hey, who is Jesus then? There's been times when people pause. There's been times when I've seen people who have rejected the faith all of a sudden get choked up because that's one hurdle they can't just jump over. There's something there about who Jesus is that is distinct, that is unique, that cause people to pause and say, there's something here. Friends, what I'm telling you here is it all starts with this miraculous conception. Jesus is very different because his birth was unlike any other birth. He was born from, or he was conceived from the Holy Spirit. So that's the big surprise. Surprise. And that changes everything. That changes the direction that Joseph is going to go. But there's another surprise. This is surprise number two, that he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. Matthew verse uh, chapter one, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Is Marion still here? Marion, in the room. The, oh, there she is. Look at that. I called you. I, I caught you sneaking out. What was I'm just kidding. Hey, so Marion, uh, in our scripture discovery class, Sunday morning, um, Sunday school class, she brought up, Hey, does, how does the name Jesus tie in with that phrase where he will save his people from their sin? You know, I researched it right after class I, I, that was that was a good question, and it bothered me. So, in the Hebrew, there is some ties with the name Jesus, and in the Hebrew, it's uh, uh, Yeshua. But there's a tie with the word salvation, or is salvation, or one crying out for help. So it's this idea of salvation. So there is this connection between the name Jesus and salvation. But specifically here, this is the surprise. What is he going to save his people from? From their sin. Wait, what? Save, save from what? I want, save from this government? From, from, uh, from um, poverty? From evil? From evil? What is he he saving me from? Saving us from our sin. See, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, the beginning of man and woman where Adam and Eve are there and God gives a command and they break that command by breaking that command. What they ought to do, they didn't do. They did something else. They missed the mark. They've fallen into sin. And from that time onward, the genealogy of Adam and Eve that we see throughout, their sons and daughters are in sin as well. That's the problem. That's the biggest issue that we face. We have fallen into sin, and now we need to be saved from it. Who's going to save us from it? Here it is. This is huge. This is huge that Matthew is revealing. Well, this angel's revealing to Joseph. This is the one that is promised from way back in Genesis. He's going to save you, his people, from their sin. You know, um, in our culture today, I think this is really interesting because. Um, you go around in the American culture and you, you can ask because there's some issues, don't we? have issues, don't we? There's some devices, divisiveness that we are kind of experiencing in our world today. And we got to ask ourselves, you know, with all this prob, these problems that we see, when we turn on the news and we see the evil that is out there and we see the destruction and the disparity, and uh, the injustice and all this stuff. And, and so we ask this question to people, like, what is the problem? How do we fix it? And people give all these solutions, and, and it's the solutions that we divide over. Well, I think we should go this way. Well, no, I think that would actually make it worse, so we should go this way. And, and then it gets political as well, and, and oftentimes we do divide it into political terms or political sides, And a lot of times in, in our American culture today, there's this, this tendency to look out and say, this is the problem. So it may be this structure over here, or it's this government here, or it's this policy, or it's, you know, this or that. When, here's the thing about when it comes to the problem that we see. See, the problem that we have is not that there is conflict and issues and evil out there. The problem is that there is conflict and evil in here. It's not that out there is corrupt and those things are corrupt, which they are. But it starts with, and the root is in the heart of men. That's where the corruption lies. That's why we see what we're seeing today. That's why we have seen it from the beginning of history. It's because of what we ought to be and what we ought to do, we fall short. That is called sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. So that's surprise number two. Here's surprise number three. Well, let me go through these. So first surprise, the conceived child is from the Holy Spirit. Number two, he will save his people from their sin. And here's number three, and this is the next surprise, the prophecy is fulfilled. What is specifically that prophecy? God with us. God with us. So whenever uh, a New Testament author refers back to the Old Testament and gives a quote, he is expecting or assuming that his audience knows the full context. So Matthew is assuming that we understand Isaiah, that we've read Isaiah, that we know Isaiah, because that's is where this quote comes from from the book of Isaiah. So let me give you a little bit of background of what's taking place here. So back then, during the time of his Isaiah, the kingdom, Israel, was broken into two kingdoms. They were separated. There's two kingdoms, the north. Was called Israel, the south was called Judah. And so there were two kings reigning at that time. And the king in the south, in Judah, was named Ahaz. And he, it says, did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a good king, he wasn't following the Lord. And during that time, there was a lot of trouble there is this Assyrian army, this nation that was coming through and they were wiping out and taking over other nations. And, and they were, they were more powerful than any other nation. And they're just going through and trouncing everyone. And they're like, Oh no, this wave is coming. And inevitably it's going to come to us. There's trouble. Now, Israel, the North, And another nation, Syria, decided to um, make a pact and combine forces to battle against Assyria. And they're saying, Ahaz, we need you. If we combine forces, perhaps we can take them out. And and and, um, Ahaz was like, uh uh-uh. I'm not going to do it. So he kind of actually um, takes the side of Assyrian. He's trying to be friends with them, buddy up with them, and maybe, maybe he can just be saved that way, that they won't take his kingdom over if he buddies up with them. And so the neighbor, Israel, and Syria go, oh, so you want to be on his side, huh? Well, then if you're his friend, then you're our enemy. And they try to trounce Ahaz. And so Ahaz is in big trouble. His neighbors are angry at him. They're going to take that land over and take over his kingdom. And God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. And, And ask for a sign, Ahaz, and I will give it. You know what Ahaz says? Nope. Nope. I'm going to trust in my own, I'm, I'm going to trust in my own solution. Here's my solution. I'm going to buddy up with Assyria or, um, yeah, Assyria. I'm going to buddy up with them. That's his solution. God says, no, no, no you need to trust in me. And, and here's the sign. Here's the sign that everything's going to work out. I'm going to bear, there's going to be a son, right? From a virgin. And she, and, um, He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what he's trying to tell him. Ahaz, look, if you just trust in me, if you repent and and rely upon me, I will be with you. And there is nothing, nothing like God being with you. So we know that this is fulfilled. It is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus. You see, this prophecy is foretelling that God will dwell with his people and it's unlike any other way that he has dwelt with his people. So if you look back and you think back through the Old Testament of how God has revealed himself to others, he, he um, revealed himself as a pillar of flame. He, he uh, entered into the tabernacle and, and entered into the temple as, as this um, cloud He's spoken through prophets. He's sent angels. So there's ways that he has come down and and the sense of God with us. But this is very different. This is very unique. So not only was he conceived from the Holy Spirit, but now God is going to reveal himself or be with his people in a unique way. He's going to come In flesh, in human flesh. John chapter one talks about this in in a, I think in a helpful way. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son. The only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. God with us. This is a huge surprise to Joseph. This is a huge surprise to Joseph. This child is going to be conceived from the Holy Spirit. That he's going to save his people from their sin. And he's going to be God in flesh. You know what this does? Changes things for Joseph, doesn't it? So Joseph's in this dilemma. He's got this problem. He's thinking it through. I can either go this direction or I can go this direction, or, or maybe plan my, my, my other solution is, is to divorce her quietly. This sounds like the best solution I have. It's the wisest solution. Must be from God. And so he's thinking of going this direction. All of a sudden, God intervenes. Joseph, that's not the solution. That's man's solution. That's the easy way. That is the way that you can kind of wipe your hands of everything and go your own way. And God says, uh-uh, here's the solution. Stay with her. Marry her. Because this child is going to save his people. This child is unlike any other human being. It is God in flesh. So go this route. What do you think the ramifications of going that route? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? What are people going to do? They're going to look at Joseph. They're going to think of Joseph. They're going to look at me like I did something wrong. They're going to whisper. They're going to talk behind our backs. We're going to be shunned. We're going to be accused. What is Joseph going to do? Well, this is what he does. This is scene four. Joseph obeys. You see, what God has revealed to him changes the course of his life, changes the course of Mary's life. Matthew, verse 24 and 25: when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus so this revelation about how this child was conceived and who he was going to be dramatically changed the course of Joseph's life he was a man who believed that the right thing to do was to walk away to divorce mary quietly and just walk away but what was revealed in him changed everything This is a man who is now willing to face the rumors, the ridicule, the shame, the dangers which will come because of this miraculous conception. He heard the truth and he was now willing to put his faith in what God revealed to him. And we see his faith through obedience. He did what God told him to do. So friends, this morning, God is still revealing his truth to us. He has revealed to us Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. He is God made flesh. He dwelt among us. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was crucified and he died. For our sins. So the question for you is this this morning. Will you trust in your Savior? Will you trust, rely on him? Not man's solution when it comes to evil and sin in this world and in our hearts. But would you trust in God's solution to this problem? to trust in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And friends, just like Joseph, we are also called to obey, to obey. You know, as we walk through the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to give us some teaching about what it means to obey. So we're going to continue to look at that. But with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures, we thank you for this story that you give in the book of Matthew. There's a reason why you put it there. There's something in it that is wonderful. There's a mystery to it, but there's some deep theological truths that you really want us to know And it's the significance of this person that's going to be born, this this boy that's going to be born, that he is unlike any other human being in history. Lord, we know why he came. You've revealed it to us. It is to save sinners from their sin. That we may have forgiveness. That we might repent and turn and be cleansed and be in right standing with you. Lord, we thank you for that truth. And so for those who may be questioning that or wonder, Lord, I pray that you would grab a hold of their hearts, that they would know it, that they would know it, not that it's just some, some objective truth that is out there, but it actually applies to them. And for us, Lord, that have trusted in your work, Lord, when doubts come, And there may be doubting now, maybe this past week there were ways that we've doubted, maybe fallen into sin. And Lord, I pray that we would turn and cling to the cross because we know that it's through the cross that we are saved. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. May we worship in that truth and give glory in that truth and give thanks for that truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.